Let's now just uh, briefly bow in a word of prayer, asking God to bless the preaching of the word. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do come now before you crying out for help as we would come to your word, as we would read your word, as we would meditate on it, as we would seek to understand it and draw out lessons for ourselves. Father, please help me to be a faithful minister of your word. Help me to take of the things of Christ and feed them to your people. We have prayed that you would come and do a great work of salvation. Please use the words that are spoken to that end. And we pray that your people would be encouraged, that they, their faith would be strengthened, and that we would all be in awe of you, our Heavenly Father, and your glorious Son, Jesus Christ, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Christmas traditions. What are your Christmas traditions? If you celebrate Christmas, what are some of those things that your family does? And a number of you will no doubt have special family dinners. And maybe it's on Christmas Eve. Some it's a Christmas day lunch or dinner. Uh, some go and uh, look at the tree in New York City. Uh, there could be a number of different things that your family does uh, as, a, as a tradition, and some of them could be very serious. Others could just be very lighthearted, enjoyable. Uh, for my family, uh, for the few times when I was growing up and we were in the United States, one of our traditions was watching the Charlie Brown Christmas special. Some of you may have seen that. You know that in that animated film, Charlie Brown Christmas Special, uh, that Charlie Brown, who was always being picked on, uh, is trying to find out what Christmas is all about. And he asks that several times. Can anyone tell me what Christmas is all about? And if you've watched it, you know at the end there, as Charlie Brown has been ridiculed for his Charlie Brown Christmas tree, that at that time, Linus steps into the uh, light there, he steps forward, and he proceeds to tell, as he says, Charlie Brown, what Christmas is all about. And he reads, or quotes, from Luke chapter 2, some of the very verses that Pastor Chansky read to us, and I'll just read them again here. An angel said to them, the shepherds, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace goodwill toward men. And at that point, Linus turns to Charlie Brown and says, that's what Christmas 
is all about. At Christmas, we celebrate the coming of God's Son to earth, God's own Son becoming a man, fully God and yet fully man. And he came by way of being conceived in a virgin. He was not the offspring of a human father, but the Holy Spirit worked a miracle in Mary's womb. And there, in her womb, the creator of the universe became a baby, the very one, in the very one of his own creatures, Mary. But why did Jesus come to earth? Why would God come down to his own creation, become a man with real flesh and blood, and live among his own creatures? What's the whole point? Well, there's many passages in the scriptures that we could turn to to help us understand that. And I think even the the passage here that uh, Linus quoted in the Charlie Brown Christmas special gets us off to a good start. But I would like us tonight to turn to Luke chapter 5 and answering this question, what's the whole point? Why did Jesus come to earth? Why did he come to Mary? Why was he born of a woman? Luke chapter 5, I'd like us to read verses 27 to 32. Here Jesus is in the region of Galilee and Capernaum. And we read in Luke chapter 5, verse 27, After these things, he, Jesus, went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he left all, rose up, and followed him. Then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house, and there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. And their scribes and the Pharisees complained against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered and said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This last verse clearly and simply explains the whole reason why Jesus came to Bethlehem as a baby. But tonight I'd like us to take this passage and I want to break it down into four Headings, we're going to consider first the context, then the question asked by the scribes and Pharisees, and then the illustration given by Jesus, and then lastly, the explanation that he gives. So context, the question, the illustration, and then the explanation. So this passage where we pick up this reading, it's it's this account of, of Jesus calling Levi also known as Matthew, to be one of his followers. And this took place early on in Jesus' ministry. But word had spread about Jesus to all the region of Galilee and even down into Judea and all the way to Jerusalem. Crowds had begun following Jesus, and Jewish leaders, it says, even came up from Jerusalem to hear what everyone was talking about and to to hear this man, Jesus, who they called a prophet, 
What did he have to say? He was even doing miracles. They wanted to see what he was doing. And it's highly likely that Levi himself had already seen Jesus there in Capernaum. And it may have been that he had even heard him teach on previous occasions. He may have known of James and John or, or Peter and Andrew, disciples who had fishing businesses right there on the Sea of Galilee. And as we see as Matthew or Levi was a tax collector right there in that area, he had, may have even taken taxes from them at some point. Who knows? But it's highly likely that there was some familiarity there. In fact, because Jesus himself lived in Capernaum, could it be that Levi had heard Jesus speak? Maybe he had some direct interaction with Jesus up to that point when we come to our passage here. But I, I believe there was sufficient familiarity, some uh, interaction that Levi had, because when Jesus calls him to follow him, I don't think it was a mindless thing. I mean, could you imagine somebody just walking in the side door, coming across and saying, Cedric, get up and follow me. And Cedric just gets up and follows and walks out the door. You'd say, well, that's crazy. Who is a stranger just walks in here and just calls on someone to get up and go? But I think what we're seeing here is that Levi had some understanding about who Jesus was. And so when Jesus called him, he got up with understanding and he knew what it meant when Jesus said, follow me. And we're told that in the passage, Levi got up, he obeyed Jesus. He got up from his collection station. He resigned from his position there in the tax office and he followed Jesus. He left his job. He left his income. Really, he left his life and he gave it all up to follow the Lord Jesus. And then we read, he held a great feast for Jesus in his house and he invited his friends and his co-workers. And we read there in verse 29 that there were a great number of tax collectors and others at the dinner. What a remarkable account of Levi's conversion and what a remarkable display of his love. Even at such personal cost, having walked away from his, from his own, uh, his own uh, job where he was making his living and then throwing a great feast and inviting all the tax collectors and other friends that he had to the dinner. But that is not the end of the story because there were others watching all this go down. There were others who were seeing what happened here and tracking the story as it develops and watching Levi and then following over to the house. And we read of the Pharisees and their scribes. And here comes the question then in verse 30, where they complained against his disciples, Jesus' disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Well, the question itself, it's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Uh, not very hard to understand. Why associate so closely with these people? But of course, there's more to the question than just the question, isn't there? And we see, what, what is this real reason? What's, what's at the, the heart of what the Pharisees are complaining about 
to Jesus' disciples? Well, tax collectors were notorious sinners in Jewish society. They're often grouped together with murderers and prostitutes. Since the Romans ruled over the Jews at this time, tax collectors worked for the Roman government. And tax collectors made their living by not just collecting the tax that was due to the Roman government, but they made their living by taking that tax plus their cut, <laughs> their commission, shall we call it. And it was up to them to get their income by charging more than the tax, and then they would take whatever that difference was, and that went into their pockets. And of course, you can imagine the vocation was rife for all sorts of lies and extortion. And this made the Jewish people, understandably, furious. What's more, tax collectors weren't Romans. They were Jews. They were the Jewish people. And so you can imagine how did this made fellow Jews feel when they had to pay taxes to their fellow Jews, knowing they were working for the Romans. And so tax collectors were more hated for the Jews for this very reason, because they were not only charging them more and getting rich, but they were doing it for the Romans. They were sellouts. They were traitors. So how could they do this and side with their enemy? This may be like uh, in today's uh, today, uh, comparison for today, it might have been like in where uh, Ukraine, where Russia has invaded parts of Ukraine. And you can imagine if a Ukrainian living there under the invaders, the Russian invaders, starts collecting tax from fellow Ukrainians for the Russians. I don't think that would go down very well, would it? You could imagine what might happen to such a person if they were to run into certain people there in Ukraine. Bad things, right? This is the kind of animosity that existed. This is the way the Jews, back in our text, looked upon tax collectors of their, of their time, of which Levi was one of them. In fact, if you wanted to really insult someone at this time, you lived back at this time frame, you'd say, you tax collector. Right? doesn't really resonate well. Now, kids, don't go calling <laughs> your friends. Don't go up and say, you tax collector, you. But that, that would have been an insult back then. Now, I just want to say that this, we're talking about back then. I'm, this is nothing against, if you work for the IRS here, <laughs> um, I'm not trying to make a modern implication here. Um, but in New Testament times, New Testament times, being a tax collector was synonymous with being a sinner. That's the point we need to understand because that's at the heart of the question that the Pharisees and the scribes have against these. They were, they were traitors. They were swindlers. Why on earth then would a good Jewish man, let alone a preacher and teacher from God, okay, why would he associate on such close terms with these filthy wicked people. Why? Why do Jesus and his disciples 
and really Jesus, right? That's where the question's going. And Jesus associate with these people. But notice, I don't think their, their, their question really is sincere. It's not really a sincere question because it says they complained against Jesus' disciples. You see, the scribes and Pharisees believed that God is only concerned. They believed that God was only concerned about and pleased with people who pleased him. People who were, were good enough in his eyes. Those with the top scores in life. They believed that they were able to please God, they themselves, and to get his attention by doing religious works and by performing certain religious rituals and by following strict religious rules. And they thought very highly of themselves and they believed that they were God's favorites. They were the ones that God looked down upon and smiled upon. So when they saw Jesus at a dinner with these, these sinners and these tax collectors, that got them angry. This is, this is the, the, the rabbi that everyone's coming to hear, whose fame is spreading through all Judea and Galilee, and everyone's coming to hear him and to see what he's doing, and he's sitting with tax collectors and sinners? If he's sent from God, why isn't he having dinner with us? He should be coming by us. He should be coming to associate with us. Why would he waste his time on sinners? How disgusting. How, how utterly unacceptable. And so they complain. They complain about Jesus to his disciples with their, their question. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? You see, they didn't really, didn't really want to know the answer. They just really wanted to complain about Jesus and to make themselves look good. You ever heard someone do that? Complain about something, complain about you, about something maybe, and, and you know that they really don't care about what they're, they're complaining about. They just want to make you look bad, right? Ooh, Ryan, are you eating the cookies that mom made for the hymn sing after the church service and that no one was supposed to touch? You guys know what that's like, right? Kids, have you ever done that before? Will you call out your brother or your sister and you're not really concerned about, oh, that's not good, you know? I'm so worried about those, those cookies. They're being enough. You're just, man, I wish I had gotten one. Right? And we see that, and even as adults, sadly, we can do that. Calling out someone else's problems that we perceive are issues, right? Just to, to try to show, look at that person. They're not really that good. Look what they did. Right? That's, that's what's going on here. Sadly, the Pharisees are acting like little children. And they're angry. They're incensed. Try to point out some problem with Jesus when really... It was about themselves. They were upset. So there's the question. Then we come to the illustration that Jesus gives in verse 31. And we're not sure how Jesus actually heard the question that the Pharisees had, had posed or their complaint to the disciples, uh, whether they said it loud enough for him to hear. Uh, doesn't seem that they were invited to the, the, the feast that Levi had given. 
Um, so were they hanging outside and peering in? Did they send someone in? Maybe they were waiting to the end when everyone was filing out, and that's when they, they, they cornered the disciples. Um, we're, not, we're not told, but somehow this gets to Jesus. However he hears it, he hears it. And he responds directly in verse 31, and he, he gives an illustration or a comparison. He says, those who are healthy do not need a physician or a doctor, but those who are sick. Now, again, that, that seems pretty obvious, right? Because you know, it doesn't take rocket science to understand this point. You make an appointment with a doctor when you need help, when you're not well. You don't, you don't go to urgent care and make an appointment and show up, and, and sometimes they even still make you wear those wretched masks, and you sit there, and you go through, and you get in, and so the the nurse comes in, okay, takes your vitals, and you come in to see the doctor. So what's the problem today? Well, you, you know what? I haven't had a fever in probably four months. And you know what else? I don't think I've even had the sniffles. I have felt so good. Kids, you would say that's insane, right? The doctor would say, and why are you here? Why are you sitting here in my office if you're well? If you're healthy, you see the point? It's pretty simple, right? You don't, you don't go to urgent care. You don't go to an orthopedic doctor and say, wow, you know, my knee works so well, I have no problems with it. They're going to say, well, then why'd you show up, right? Those who are healthy don't go to a doctor. But those who are sick, right? Those who are well have no need for a physician. But those who are sick... But then Jesus takes what would seem like a very obvious, easy sort of softball illustration, and now he brings it home with very poignant and direct explanation. And there we have this in verse 32. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Who is the physician in the illustration? Well, now we see who's the doctor. It's Jesus. Who are those who are sick? Well, these tax collectors and sinners, indeed all sinners. And what's their disease? It's sin. Sin. Crimes against God. Violations of his holy and perfect law. Sins against God, sins against others, sins against our fellow man, our neighbors, those we come in contact with. Sins are the sickness, the disease, which will what? Land us in eternal damnation unless they are dealt with. What's the medicine? What's the cure? Repentance. 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 Turning away from our sin, turning away from ourself, doing a 180 on ourself, and turning to God. Believing in Him, trusting in Him. The medicine for sinners is repentance.
And who are the ones who are well? Well, those who don't have any sin. Those who are perfect. Those who are upright and just without any sin. So Jesus explains to these scribes and Pharisees that he came to this earth from God for the express purpose of calling sinners to repentance. Here it is. For calling sinners to repent. He didn't come down to hang out with sinners in order to engage in their sinful behavior. Have you ever heard, usually it's a very, um, no offense to young people, but I, I, I was like this. Young Christians, they often be like, yeah, you know, Jesus was hanging out with sinners. And they say that as a way to justify them still maybe hanging out doing sinful things. As if that justifies that. See, look, Jesus hung out with sinners. <laughs> I'm just doing what Jesus did. But that's not, that's not why Jesus was associating with sinners. He didn't come to engage in their sinful behavior. No, he came for the purpose to do them good, to call them to repentance, to call those who are sick with sin away from their sin and to make them followers of himself. He wanted them to be delivered from sin, that they would be delivered from that eternal wrath and punishment that their sins deserve. And so he came to call those who had fallen short of his commandments, who had committed wicked crimes. He called those who didn't love their husband or their wife the way they ought. He came to call those who neglected their children. He came to call those who were bitter and envious and unkind and had sharp tongues that cut and, and, and bite and devour. He called murderers. He came to call the sexually impure. And this is what had happened to Levi. He was a sinner. He needed repentance. And Jesus came and he came to Levi and he called him to make him a follower of himself. And the glorious good news that the angels were proclaiming on the night that Jesus was born was that God had sent his son Jesus into the world. He came and sent him into the world to proclaim repentance to lost sinners. No matter what kind of sinner, every class of sinner, big sinner, little sinner, old sinner, young sinner, long time sinner, new sinner, capital crime sinner, Headline news, sinner, Instagram-worthy sinner, quiet sinner, calculated sinner, nobody sees my sin kind of sinner. He came to call sinners. But sadly... The scribes and the Pharisees missed this critical point because they didn't think they were sinners. They didn't think of themselves as sinners, but you see, they were just as guilty as the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the murderers, those that were on their, the top 
the short list of worst sinners, they didn't see that they themselves were on that list too. They were at an, on another level. Okay, yeah, maybe they weren't perfect, but I mean, they, they thought they were pretty good. I mean, we're not the ones who were sick. Surely we're not in that, that class, Jesus. We're not the ones who need a physician. It's these bad people, right? You see, they were trusting in their merit badges of, of rituals or attendance at synagogue or, or temple worship. But in fact, they were just like everyone else in the world, sinners. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that's what we read in that very famous verse, John three sixteen, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, perish because of their sins. They should not perish. They should not go to hell for eternity, but have everlasting life. And God sent Jesus to make a way of salvation by taking that punishment of sin upon himself in the person of his son, Jesus. And anyone who believes in the Lord Jesus, anyone, 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 whatever kind of sinner, you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the physician's healing bomb. You believe in him, you will have your sins forgiven. You will have everlasting life. The whole reason Jesus came to earth as a baby in a stable 2,000 years ago is for this very reason. The reason he called Levi the tax collector. It's why he sat down to eat that meal with those tax collectors and those sinners. Not to act like them, not to find fun in their sin, but to call them to repentance that they might be saved. My dear friends, this is what Christmas is all about. Charlie Brown, this is what Christmas is all about. Jesus came as a savior to save his people from their sins. Christmas traditions are nice, but that's not the reason. Presents are always welcome at any time, but they are not the reason. Jesus came to call sinners like you and me to repentance. So then here's the, the obvious question. Are you a sinner? Are you a sinner? Or to use the illustration Jesus gave, are you healthy? Are you well? Or are you sick? Have you fallen into the trap of the, the scribes and Pharisees? Well, I hope so-and-so is listening because they're a real sinner. They need to listen to this, Pastor Khan. You, you preach it. Tell them. No, no, no. Do you see yourself as a sinner? Do you see yourself as morally bankrupt before God? Nothing, nothing good before him do you have. This Christmas, do you see yourself as someone who's sick and dying and headed for hell because of your sin? 
Do you see yourself in need? Or are you standing with the scribes and Pharisees outside, looking in, saying, I hope so-and-so is listening because they're a very bad sinner. Or do you see yourself at the table? Are you sitting there? And are you listening to the words of Jesus as he turns to you? And he says, repent. 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 Turn away from your sin. Be done with it. And Levi saying, yes, I did it. Look what the Lord did for me. He called me. I repented of my sins and I believe in him. And he has given me everlasting life. What about you? Is Christmas just presents? Is Christmas a tree? Is Christmas time off from school and work? Is Christmas hanging out with those cousins you haven't seen in a long time? Those are all nice things, but that's not the real meaning. Jesus did not come for us just to have a nice time off of work with our friends, our cousins, our family members, opening gifts. That's not it. Have you seen yourself as a sinner? He came to call sinners. Have you seen yourself as a sinner in need of the Savior? We had this verse read to us already this morning. It's, it's, it was in my notes, though, so I'm going to read it again. 1 Timothy 1.15. It is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And as we heard this morning, Paul added, of whom I am chief. Is that you? Brothers and sisters in Christ, have you lost that sense that remembrance that you are a sinner? Has it been so long? Have you forgotten what it is to be a tax collector and a sinner? When we're first converted, we feel it, isn't it? You say, oh, wow, I was so sinful. I can't believe it. And by God's grace, he does change us. And we, we do put away the old man. We put away sin, as we've been hearing from Romans 6. But have you forgotten that you're still just a sinner saved by grace? Has it, has it become so far, has it gone so far in the rear view that it doesn't affect you anymore? Well, think about this, meditate on this, and consider that even for you, yes, the Lord Jesus came to save me, to deliver me from my sins, to call me to repentance, and find great joy as you celebrate this Christmas. But let me, let me also make this point. Don't be satisfied with anything less than true biblical repentance. Don't be satisfied with anything less than true biblical repentance. Because see, feeling bad about your sin is, is certainly part of repenting, but that's, that's not everything. And sometimes... We can, get, we can feel bad about our sins. We acknowledge we're sinners. We see that we're sinful. 
And we might even say, yeah, and I, I'm even like a tax collector kind of sinner or a, a prostitute kind of sinner or a murderer kind of sinner. And we put ourselves in that category. We say, yeah, I see that. And I feel bad about it and it's wrong, but then it ends there and nothing changes. Don't be satisfied with anything less than real repentance. You've got to go to Christ. You've got to put your faith in him. And you say, Lord, forgive me for my sins. Forgive me. They are wicked. They are disgusting. Help me to see them as they really are. Help me not to think that, oh, I'm just not that bad. I don't, really don't do bad stuff. Help me to see how horrible my sin is. Again, not to crush me, but to lead me to you and to see my need of you, and to delight in you, and to look for that healing and that cleansing that only comes from you. Don't be satisfied with just feeling a little bit bad about your sins. Lord, help me to see how wicked they are and help me to hate them. Disobeying your parents? It's actually not funny. It is a wicked sin that will send you to hell, kids. You need to pray, God, help me to see it to be that bad. When you lie, what you think is that little lie. Did you brush your teeth? Uh, yeah. Children, you need to see even those little, quote unquote, little lies and say, that has broken God's law and I stand condemned as a sinner before him. Yes, you actually have to think of your sin that way. That's the only way you will see your need of a savior. Because if we continue to justify our sins and, and, and try to explain them away, why do I need to come to Jesus? I'm not that bad. And then we're right there with the, with the Pharisees and the scribes. I thank you, God, that I am not like this tax collector over here and sinner. So we have to be careful. Don't settle for anything less than true biblical repentance. Have heart dealings with God. Ask him to show you your heart and say, Lord, show it to me that I might repent of it, that I might turn away from it, that I might be done with it, and that I might believe in Jesus and be a follower of Christ, putting off those wicked things and putting on Christ. But also... As we think about what Jesus is saying here, that he came to call sinners to repentance, let's think of the, the beauty of God and the love of God that's displayed here. Because think about yourself, if I think about myself, if, when someone sins against you, when someone offends you, how do you feel towards them? If you heard someone insult you to someone else, called you a tax collector, how would you relate to that person? Think about it. Maybe even this week, this past week, someone has, has done something to you, insulted you in some way. What's your heart disposition towards that person? Is it that you want to go to them and be reconciled to them? Oh, brother, sister, I heard you said this about me. And, and it, is, is, that how, is that how you are? Look, by nature, I am not like that. 
right? You hear someone say something about you. What, what do you want? What's the first thing you want to do with that person? Well, maybe there's two things. Retaliate, right? If we're honest. Or withdraw, right? Two, two things that we generally want to do when someone insults us, when someone sins against us, we either retaliate or withdraw. Now, by grace, by God's grace alone, thankfully, as Christians, we seek to reconcile, right? But it's only because of his grace. But think about this. While we were still in our sins, haters of God, those who offended him, those who have insulted him in ways that we don't, can't even measure <laughs> morally in our minds, in our lives, right? What we have done to God with our sins, and what should he have done with us? Well, the righteous thing for him to do, the just thing for him to do, would have been to send every one of us to hell. The whole human race just sent to hell, and God would have been completely just and holy in doing it if he had sent us to hell. But what did he choose to do? Emmanuel. He sent his son that we might be reconciled to him. The one who we offended and he comes and says, let's be reconciled. Sinners, come. Let us not be enemies. This is what God does for us. And can you really take it in? Can your heart really contain such awesome God-like love that comes down and expresses itself to us in the person of Jesus Christ? And when you consider why Christ came and to think he did that for me, would I have done it for him? I trust I'm not being irreverent by saying it that way. But knowing your own heart and knowing even how we treat others around us, would you do it to someone who insulted you? Would you go to the lengths that God went to reconcile us to him? Have you thought about that? I hope you do. This Christmas, when you think about what Christmas is all about, sit back and meditate on that. Behold this love of God for us, that he should love us like that and pursue us like that and come after us because he wants to call sinners to repentance. He wants to be reconciled. Will you be reconciled with him? Those here who are not trusting in Jesus, if you haven't repented, if you're not believing in Jesus, would you please come to him tonight? He calls like he called Matthew. And as he was walking this earth and he called sinners, he calls again tonight and he calls to you and says, repent, repent, come and be reconciled to God. Why will you die? Why will you go on in your sins? Why will you go to hell holding on to your sin? I'm not letting go. He says, come, let me take your hands off. Let go. Why will you be my enemy? Won't you be reconciled? Won't you have peace with God?
He has done it all. He has paid that penalty in the person of Christ. My dear friend, sitting here tonight, please listen, listen. Jesus calls you tonight to be saved from your sin. Will you reject him? Will you reject him? He says, come, come now. I have come for sinners. You say, oh, but my sin is so bad, so wicked. <laughs> he says, you can come. Oh, but my sin, I have sinned in ways. If people sitting in this room knew the way I sinned, you don't know what they would do to me. They wouldn't even want to sit near me. Well, that's what they said about the tax collectors and the sinners. And where was Jesus? Found with them, calling them to repentance. He says, yes, even you. Say, well, but you don't understand. I've been hiding my sin. I've been, I've been hiding it. And I've, I've actually, I'm bit, I go to church here all the time and nobody knows about my sin. No one's seen my internet history. No one knows the things I've done. You're a secret sinner. Jesus says, repent. Repentance is for you. He calls to you tonight. Everyone here who is not a Christian, please, I beg of you, hear Christ's call. He has come for sinners. He has come for us that we might know reconciliation with God. And lastly, the last lesson, if you're going to celebrate Christmas, Celebrate it like Levi celebrated. You can say it in the common vernacular. Go big or go home. What do I mean? Levi threw a great feast because of the great things God had done for him. And he used that feast, he used that celebration as a way to tell others about the Lord Jesus. Because he no doubt wanted his fellow sinners to come to know the Savior. So I encourage you and your Christmas celebration, take the opportunity to tell others about the Lord Jesus Christ. Make it your purpose in your Christmas celebration to talk to sinners and to call them to repentance. Isn't that what it's all about? So let's, let's take Levi's example. I can't call it a Christmas dinner, but certainly his celebration of what Jesus had done for him, his desire to have his co-workers and perhaps his friends hear about the gospel, to have this one who had called him to be in their midst and to tell them and to command them to repent and believe Oh, that was a kindness of Levi to them. Celebrate Christmas like Levi's celebration here in our passage. And invite your friends, invite your family to believe in this loving Savior who came to this world to call sinners to repentance. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for this great and glorious good news that you have not left us to ourselves. You have not left us to die in our sins and to be cast into hell for eternity, but you have come to call sinners, to heal them, to make them whole, to take away their sins and to bring them into eternal life, everlasting life with you forever. Oh, Father, we pray that you would help us to rightly understand the reason that Jesus came into this world. And Father, we pray that everyone here in this room would come to know Jesus as their personal savior from their sins. We pray that none, none would reject his call tonight, but that all would come to know him by faith, to repent of their sins, to turn away from their sins, and to put their trust in him for salvation. We ask it for the glory of Christ. Amen.